0: All right, for 30 years I've been doing ministry all over the world, all kinds of international stuff. I've eaten some interesting things. I've had bamboo rat. Is that one of your favorites? Bamboo rat in a nice brown sauce, I've had that. I've had grasshopper, a bowl of uh, grasshoppers, very salty. I've had smashed up caterpillars, delicious in Congo. I've had whale meat, mmm, whale meat. I've had reindeer meatballs. I've had sautéed pork fat. That's pretty gross, and butter, and like, uh, it doesn't go down the throat. Um, I've had saka wheel. Have you had saka wheel? You basically take cornmeal, you put it in a big, like, flour sack, and then you put five whole chickens in there. Just throw them in there. They're dead, but you throw them in there. And then you bury it, and then you put coals over it. You cook it for 36 hours, and then you pull out the bag, and you pull out all the goo in there and pfft, on the plate and eat it. That's, mm. And then there's the one I ate with some Sudanese people. It had a big, like, thing. It was like a big pizza plate, metal pizza plate, and it had a big piece of kind of flatbread on it. But the flatbread was so cold that it was kind of icy. And on top of the flatbread, in the middle, was kind of mushed up but cooked Kidney and pancreas. Now, I'm not sure what animal, but it was in there. So what you do is you take the bread, there's no utensils, and then you take the bread and you kind of squish some of the meat in there and you eat it. The Sudanese, they loved it so much, they would like put, you know, put their fingers in there and they'd eat it and then they'd lick their fingers like a, and then put their fingers back in there. You know? That one, that was a tough one. Um, language. I've had a lot of language issues. I've told people around the world that I'm pregnant, and that's been a bad thing. Um, I remember doing a sermon in Uruguay once, thinking I was preaching about spiritual gifts. So I did a whole sermon on spiritual gifts. God gives you these gifts, and you're supposed to use these gifts for the glory of God, and you know, everybody has different kinds of gifts. But I found out after the sermon was over, I didn't say the word gift, I was saying the word donut, and God has given you spiritual donuts, and everyone has different donuts, and God gives you these donuts to give Him glory. And I don't think the Uruguayans really got much of what I'm said. And then there was the team. It wasn't me, but there was a team that was in Monterrey, Mexico, and we were in an airport, and they weren't one of ours. We saw them. They were leaving Monterrey after doing ministry with children for a whole week. Now they didn't know Spanish that well, they thought, because they were in a place that was very warm, they thought that on their shirt it said, it's hot here, you know, I'm hot here. But they didn't have that, they put soy caliente, which in Spanish doesn't mean I'm hot, it means I'm horny. And they wore that all week at a children's program. So, So language can be a real issue. Um, Worship. I've had some interesting worship times. I was at a church um, prayer service in Taiwan at a covenant church, and they started the service— Okay, let's pray. And everyone prayed at one time in Mandarin. And they're all praying and praying and praying. And then an hour goes by. And they're praying. And another hour goes by. Three hours. Suddenly, everyone stopped and everyone went home. I still don't know what happened, but it was quite a worship service. If you ever go to worship in Congo, you know it starts at like 10 a.m. and you have a couple of sermons and a lot of singing and dancing. Then you eat and then you have some more sermons and singing and dancing and then more. And it goes on and on on and on all day long. Once I was preaching in Jamaica, and in Jamaica, the band, the praise band stays up on stage while you're preaching, or at least in this church. And so something happened that I wasn't ready for. I'm preaching, and everyone's like, yeah, 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 yeah. But then apparently I was getting into it, and I must have said something that the keyboard player really liked. Because that the moment after I said it, he started going, dun, 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 dun. I mean, it scared me. I had a heart attack. The Lord is coming, you know, or something. <laughs> And it was, woo! But then, you know, as I was preaching, I have to admit, I wasn't really preaching for the Lord. I was kind of preaching to try to get the band to go, or something. It was like... I've slept in a lot of interesting places. I've slept on cement using my shirt um, as a pillow. I've slept in a bed with fleas. I remember... um, that morning, I had so many dots all over my body. We got one of those felt tip pens and did a dot-to-dot. Dot and was like, oh, it's Abraham Lincoln. You know, there were so many dots there. I remember sleeping in a tent once and not realizing a tarantula was with me all night long, a big one, because I found out there was one because when I woke up, it was there on my pillow next to my face. And I remember once being in a barn, I'm sleeping in a barn, and I was oh, I woke in, I, This animal woke me up. A donkey was right there and went -ah," right into my face, drooling on me, waking me up in the morning. I've been scared. Um, I was driving in Guatemala once, ran around a corner and saw a bus crash. I saw the bus crash and roll into a ravine. It was filled with women and children. I stopped my car and ran, broke the back windows. I remember the mother's kind of cr- crushing to the back of the bus, throwing their children at me because the bus was tipping and it looked like it was going to go down the ravine even more. I remember being in a Mexican town when a drug cartel, the setas, took over the town and they killed some police officers. We, My family, my son was only one years old. We went to a house. We hid in the house for about five hours and no, no one was outside. I didn't know what to do. We finally just got in my truck and drove as fast as we could out of town. We didn't see anything, but that was scary. I remember being in Kenya and taking a small plane from Kigali to Nairobi. My wife and I, we were trying to figure out, should we go on June 4th, June 5th? What day should we go? And we just randomly picked June 4th. So we got in this little plane, 12-passenger plane, and it was kind of like over the mountains into Nairobi. We didn't know that the next day, that very same plane crashed into a mountainside and killed everybody on board, just thinking, what if we would have picked June 5th? I've wondered at how people survive. I've been in the Dominican Republic after a huge hurricane near the Haitian border, border, being in these little villages where everything has been washed away. People are in the mud. People are scrounging in in riverbeds looking for things. They have no utensils, no food, no nothing. And I wonder, how do people survive? I went to Zimbabwe, and Zimbabwe has 90% unemployment. And They have a corrupt, horrible government, and their economy is so bad that their money is basically worthless. And the way they survive is they grow food on their plots of land, and they eat whatever they grow, and that's about all there is. And I've also been amazed at all the things that God does around the world about In an East Asian country, a group of young adults, I'm meeting with them, and they want to share with me their testimonies. Their families are all Buddhist, and one after one, they all said the same thing. I have decided to follow Jesus and give him my life. My family has disowned me, but I am going to live for Jesus, and that's the decision I've made. One after the other said almost the same exact thing. I'm giving my life to Jesus, but my family has disowned me because of it, but I'm still willing to follow Jesus. Or the group from your church that went to Kenya met some amazing people who work where young women who are 11 and 12 years old are sold as brides to older men. They're usually abused, and they help get these women, young girls, out of these horrible situations, and they train them, and they educate them, and they give them a chance at life. Or the Hindustani Covenant Church, which is an incredible church that does ministry in light red, or red light districts where women are sold into slavery by their families as prostitutes. And then they have children. And so the church goes in and cares for the women, helps get them out if, if they can, and educates their children. And they go into slums in India, and they do microloan programs and educational programs. And they go to agricultural areas and teach people how to do agriculture in more efficient ways they do things all over their country. I have learned so many things from the global church. So many things in 30 years. Philippians 3:20 tells us that we, if we follow Jesus, we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. We are citizens of heaven. When we give our life to Jesus, we become citizens of heaven. Now our citizenship here in the United States or where it kind of matters a little, but it's the citizenship that really, 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 really matters is the heavenly citizenship. That's the one that only really matters and lasts forever. So, I have learned so much because I love being a citizen of heaven with all the rest of the global church. We're all citizens together of heaven. We're all in the same citizenship. So I decided to ask some global church leaders, you know, what have you learned from Americans? Have you learned anything good from us? And they gave me some great answers. I wanted to share with you kind of some of their answers that they gave. They said, you know, we've learned a lot about organization from you guys. You know, you're really good at organizing things and you're punctual. Not all of you, but punctual and practical, you know. We love that about you. And you've you've taught us a lot about generosity. Even though you have a lot, you are willing to give away a lot. And that is incredible what you do. You're very creative. You're very inventive. You love, there's a problem. You love to solve problems. You love inventing new things. And it makes us want to be creative. And you want to do things with excellence. When anything says made in the USA, that you're saying made with excellence and quality. We love that about you. And the one that surprised me is a few of them said, We're amazed how optimistic you are. You guys always look at things optimistically, and you have this joy about you. We love that joy that you have, and they love that about Americans. We've learned about that. And so the global church has learned things from us, and I have learned so many things from them, and I want to share some of those things with you. One of them is generosity. They're generous in a different way than we are. We're generous from all that we have, right? They're generous from the lack of, they have no resources, and yet they're still amazingly generous. You think of, remember when Jesus was with his disciples and in the temple, and they're watching people give offering. And some rich people come in and give a bunch of offering in the temple offering, and then a widow comes in and she puts in two little pennies, and it's all the money she has. And you remember what Jesus said to the disciples? That woman, it's the widow who gave the most because she gave out of her poverty. She gave everything she had. It's amazing what the global church does, even in the midst of poverty, how generous they are. Remember we had a team in Honduras, a youth team, and one of the youth this one young lady, she stayed in one of the homes in Honduras, and she really connected with the five or six-year-old girl that lived in the house. And that five, six-year-old girl had a toy, a toy. It was a doll. And this doll was everything to her. This doll, she would lay, she wasn't playing with the doll, she would lay the doll on the pillow of her bed. That was everything. When the week was over and the girl um, from the States was heading home, the little girl ran into her room, got the doll, and gave it and said, this is for you to take home to the United States. Gave her her only toy, her doll. This young lady from the States came to me crying and crying. I can't take this. This is her only toy. This is the most precious thing. I said, you have to take it. It's from God. This is a gift from God. This is something that you will remember the rest of your life about generosity, that this little girl loved you so much she gave up the only thing that she had because she loves you. I've learned a lot about generosity. I've learned a lot about hospitality. You know, when teams go to travel with us um, to other countries, we like to have them stay in people's homes if that works out. Now, in other countries, they usually don't have guest rooms. Um, They might have a couch or they might not. So what do they do when a group comes? They actually move out of their master bedroom and give the group the best bedrooms in the house, and then it's the family that goes and sleeps on the floor or on the couch. Now, I don't know about you, but I make people sleep on my couch, but... In general, when you go visit around the world, they give up everything for you. And when they say things like, mi says es so my house is your house, they actually mean it. I mean, I don't know about you, but if someone just shows up at my house, that's an interruption. I'm like, okay, well, I'm a little busy right now. Can you wait until I get some things done? If you go to someone's house in a lot of places in the world and you just show up, that means you love them. If you just show up, that means you love them. They don't make appointments. You just show up. What do they do? They drop everything. They start cooking usually, and you sit, and they'll just stay and hang out with you as long as you're there, as long as you want. Incredible hospitality. I've also learned a lot about contentment. Um, Philippians 4, 11 and 13, the Apostle Paul says, I've learned to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or an empty stomach, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength." I've usually heard people use the one part of these verses, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength, as a way, well, God will help you succeed. God will help you be able to do anything. But it's in the context of contentment. He's, Paul, Paul's saying, look, no matter what your circumstances are, God will give you the strength to be content in the circumstance you are in. That's all that verse is really saying. And so I go to a place like Mozambique. You may not know this, but the fastest growing covenant church in the world is the covenant church of Mozambique. You're like, well, where in the world is Mozambique? It's a Portuguese-speaking country in Africa. You're like, what in the world, okay? It is growing so fast. There's like 600 covenant churches in Mozambique, and they only started like 15 years ago. Now, almost every church, all it is, it's like a dirt wall, and about this high, has a thatched roof, and there's no place to sit from home. You have to bring a bucket, or you have to bring a log or a tree stump to sit on. You could do that around here, I think, right? And and they sit and they sing and they worship and they love God and they read the scriptures, and the contentment that you feel, the joy that you sense. That's why that church is growing so fast because everybody wants that contentment and everybody wants that joy. Now, I'm not saying they're not suffering. They are suffering. Living in Mozambique is difficult. They have typhoons. They have incredible poverty. But in the suffering, there's contentment. It's not happiness because happiness is dependent on circumstances. But they have joy and a contentment because God gives them the strength to be content. I've also learned a lot about faith and prayer. I've noticed that people who have very few resources, they tend to pray a lot. And I know this is crazy, but they actually believe God answers prayers. Isn't that weird, you know? Like, if you have no resources and you have no way out, you have no options, what do you have left? Prayer and faith. That's all you've got left. I mean, pray- the way they pray is incredible. It's different than us. If we have a situation, because we have resources, what do we do as a church? You form a committee, right? You've got an issue, form a committee. So you've got a committee to solve the problem, and then you have a committee that oversees that committee. And of course, you need a committee to oversee the committee of committing the, the committee of the overseeing the committee. Yeah. So that's how we solve our problems. All, what they do is they pray like crazy. Because they have no way out. They have no options. And they pray and they pray. I have this friend who runs a kind of a foster home for kids. And the way she runs her organization does not make sense to me. It is, to me, super disorganized. But this is how she does it. If they need something, for example, okay, we have an electric bill, 432 pesos. I don't know how we're going to pay it because we don't have any money. We'll just pray about it. So they all pray about it. Dear God, we need 432 pesos. What'll happen? Later that day, someone will come and say, hey, I got this bonus at work. I have this leftover money. It happens to be 432 pesos. Can you use it? Yeah, sure. Okay, electric bill paid. Later, they won't have any milk. They'll, Dear God, we need some milk. And a farmer will drive by and have this. This milk's going to spoil. I want to give it to you. Can you use it? Sure. And they just pray about things, and God answers their prayers all the time. It drives me crazy. I keep telling her, Well, how do you run an organization like this? And she'll say, how can you not run an organization like this? So I've learned so much. I've learned so much. But some of the things I've learned haven't felt very good for me as an American. I also asked them the question, these global church leaders, what do you wish that the Americans, the American church would learn? And these are some of the things that they said. Americans consider themselves superior in all aspects. They feel like the people of the world need to think just like them. I wish Americans had a better understanding and knowledge of other countries and cultures. Americans need to learn a deeper identity as world, heavenly citizens, and not as American nationalists. They need to learn humility. They need to learn to be more sensitive to people who don't look or act like them. They need to be less materialistic. They need to learn to accept other people's opinions and cultures with positivity. The American culture's value for acquiring material things and status is very depressing, one person told me. There's a price to be paid for having such a high level of time and spiritual poverty. There's consequences for having a purely capitalistic society. Some of those things don't make me feel very comfortable. You know, I I came up with some things, you know, individualism and freedom— that's, those are big things in the United States, and we are the most individualistic culture in the world, according to anthropologists, and so we really think of the individual in all things, but my global church friends say, but you Americans, you seem to think that you should be able to do what you want, when you want to do it, and how you want to do it, but, and you say that that's a God-given right, but they're like, we don't see that in the Bible." The early church wasn't like that. The early church shared with everybody. They gave up everything they had to care for each other. You even think of the nation of Israel. It was a community. It was a faith of community, not of individualism. And then they'll say, you guys in the United States talk about freedom and liberty all the time. You talk about it in a certain way, But we don't see that in the Bible either because they'll say, look at Romans 6.18. It says, now you are free from your slavery to sin and you have become slaves to righteous living. And so they're like, freedom in God is really freedom from sin and then freedom to live exactly how God wants you to live. Then they'll go to Romans 6.22. You are free from the power of sin, and you have become slaves to God. So now they're like, and you what? You have the freedom to be a slave of God. That's what biblical freedom is. And then they go to Galatians chapter 5.13. You've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your own desires. Instead, use your freedom to serve everybody else in love. So, they're saying that freedom is even the freedom to not even be concerned about anything that you want. Freedom, biblical freedom, is to care about everyone else. So, they're like, we are concerned, and we don't really understand Americans' view of freedom. We don't really see that in the Bible. And then they say, you're nationalism, and you have a lot of fears as Americans. You guys are very USA, USA. And they said, sometimes the church comes across to us like, God has specially called you, like God has specially ordained the United States to be the one to reach the world. They're like, we don't think the United States has been called any more than our country. Our country, we're called too, to do the same thing as you. I don't, we don't think you're more specially called than anyone else. And so we're not sure where that comes from or in the Bible where you get that. And then they'll say, you guys are really interesting. You guys say, you know, you travel around the world, but when you travel, you don't really interact with people. You go to like an, an isolated, all all-inclusive resort and you stay within the walls of the resort. Or you go on a cruise ship and maybe you'll get off at a port somewhere, but you don't really travel and interact with us. And then what's the deal that you only speak English? I mean, we all speak like four languages and you're like, yep, speak one. What is that all about? And so they say, remember, we are all citizens of heaven. That's the citizenship that matters. We are all part of the body of Christ. That's all about unity and being together. That's what really matters. Then, the one that they say really bothers them the most this I know it has to do with comfort and entitlement. They feel like when we go to visit them, they have to go out of their way to make us feel comfortable. They have to go out of their way to make us feel like the bed's okay and the food's okay and the transportation's okay and everything is okay. Because if not, the Americans will complain. Now, Swedish people, they told me, are different. And this made me really mad. Because, like, Swedes, come on, Swedes. They said, Swedes are different than you guys. When Swedes travel, Swedes want the most hardship, the most suffering, the most horrible. They want to go back home and say they ate the grossest thing. I mean, Swedes, they want to like just be all grosser than we are. You know, they want want to just bleh in there. But when an American comes, oh, we have to like, we have to pamper them. That's how they feel about us. I remember we had a group in uh, Nicaragua, And this church had rented the group to stay at a rental home on the beach. Pretty nice, right? On the beach. That was a nice gift from that local church. But in Nicaragua, they don't have very good infrastructure. So there's not always water, right? And every day electricity goes out for a few hours in the whole country, okay? This is the way it is. At the end of the week, there was kind of an evaluation time and the team said, thank you for everything you've done, but I don't think we'll be coming back because the house that you had us stay in didn't always have running water and didn't always have electricity. And we need to go somewhere where we have those things. They actually, I grimaced, I cringed when I heard that evaluation from this American group. And so they struggle with those things. The Apostle Paul says he writes in 2 Corinthians, Jesus said to him, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weaknesses. And then the apostle Paul said, this is why I take pleasure in weakness and in the insults and in the hardships and in the persecutions and in the troubles I suffer for Christ. When I am weak, then I am strong. And the global church says, we really wish that you as Americans would learn that verse. And so here's really though the point of the whole sermon. Those were just examples, okay? So now here's actually the point. That was the beginning and this is the real thing. I personally believe after 30 years of doing this that if we only spend time with people who look like us, who act like us, who think like us, who vote like us, who read the Bible like us, who live like us, we're only going to see this much of who God is and how he works in the world. We're only going to see a little slice of God. I believe that one reason God created so many different cultures and people is because God is so big and so amazing, we can barely comprehend him, one way that we can comprehend more of who God is and how he works in this world is by spending as much time with as many people from as many cultures as we possibly can. All those cultures are different ways of representing who God is, the image of God. So, if you really want to get to know God and you really want to expand your view of who God and how he works in this world, then we need to intentionally It's got to be intentional because it's not normal, right? We don't normally like to hang out with people who are totally different than us. Even if they love Jesus like crazy, we tend to hang out with people like us. But to intentionally spend time with people who don't look like us, who don't live like us, who don't talk like us, who don't even read the Bible kind of like us exactly, but they still love Jesus with all their heart. When we spend time with people like that, our view of who God is and how he works in this world expands and explodes. And we have to be intentional about that. So what can we do? How do we do that? You know, we go, we buy Christian books, right? I don't know if some of you read. What if you read books that are written by people who are not from the United States, but love Jesus? Non-American authors talking about God. Or watching videos by people speaking who are from other countries and they totally love God, getting a new perspective. What if you go to Superior and hang out with some people who are different then I've heard Superior's got some interesting people over there, you know, yeah. So, or Duluth for sure has people that are really different than who you are, but they love Jesus, I know. Minneapolis, for sure, you go to Minneapolis. There's all kinds of people who love Jesus, but act and live and talk and look totally different than you do. You could go to another country and even do that. Now, some of you are like, well, when my kids grow up, that's what we'll do. No! Start them young. That's my opinion. Start them young. My kids are 10 and 13 years old. They've been to five continents, they've been to over two dozen countries each. They have met global church leaders from all over the world. They made friends with kids from all kinds of nationalities who they can't even talk to because they don't speak the same language. But I've yet to hear a parent say, How horrible that you're doing that to your children. I've only heard parents say, that is awesome. Now, I know you may not have that much of an opportunity, but to expose your children to people totally not like you, who love Jesus, what a way to expand your child's view of who God is and how he works in this world. If you need any help with this, let me know, because this is what I do for the whole covenant church. You know, we organize short-term trips. Your church will go on short-term trips. We know you had a group that went to Kenya. And, well, I mean, we even do trips for individuals, for couples, for families, to all over the world so that you can learn from the global church. Yeah. And we even have this internship program. If you're like a young adult and you're like, I'm thinking maybe international ministry would be great, but I don't have any experience, then send me a message, call me. I could set something up for you for like two to 12 months. You will learn from the global church. What if you're even retired? Oh my goodness, retired. Or you're even, you know, old like in your 40s or something, you know, and you've got all this experience and skill. We can set up an immersion opportunity for you. I had this couple came to me after the first service and said, I'm a nurse. And um, I mean, They were talking, and I'm an administrator, and yeah, we could use, it would be so awesome to go somewhere for two to 12 months, not only utilize your skills, but to learn from the global church, yeah. We even have a thing called Revision Trips, where we can work out something where your church staff, and maybe other church staffs from Covenant Churches nearby, will go somewhere to another part of the world, and our tagline for these Revision Trips is Learning from the global church. Can you imagine if your church leaders learned from the global church and came back all, woo you know, that would be awesome. Now, some of you are like, well, I can't travel anymore the way things are. We even do stuff online, so you have no excuse, called Merge Connect. And we can even connect you with global church leaders and believers in Jesus all over the world online. And so my challenge to all of us is let's intentionally take the time to learn from the global church so that our vision of who God is and how he works in this world will expand and explode beyond belief. Lord, thank you so much. We have so many opportunities. Now we have online video like Zoom and stuff we can use. And it's really easy to travel now, way more than it used to be. And we can interact with people even who aren't that far away from us, who are very different than us, and yet they love you with all their heart. And we can spend time with them, and when we do, we're like, we never thought that God was like that. And yet our view of you expands. Our view of you becomes more passionate. Our view of you explodes Help us to intentionally make that happen in our own discipleship and in discipleship for our children and our youth, because that will really, really move them into a deeper understanding of who you are and how you work in this world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.